this past week, our leadership team was at a conference down in Orlando, and I had to do a little bit of teaching there, sat in a ton of meetings, and uh, because I knew the week was going to be crazy packed, uh, I knew that I wasn't going to have a lot of time to write a message for today. And so before I left, I asked one of my good friends and uh, a mentor in my life to come and to preach today. And some of you guys have heard him preach, uh, Dr. Peter Grant, who hails from uh, the deep south of Scotland. And so this accent that you're going to hear in just a moment, it's not put on. It's legit, all right? But uh, Peter, uh, man, I've just enjoyed the last couple of years developing a friendship with him. Uh, a lot of what has been birthed in our church in the way of prayer has been a direct influence of Peter uh, in my life. And so every time he preaches, I know that we're all blessed. We love this guy. I know we're going to be blessed this morning. So let's give a big cross point welcome to my friend, Dr. Peter Grant. Well, I love preaching here. It's the church I go to, so that's one reason I love it. I love it because of your pastor, James, because uh, I love him as much as he loves me. I think the reason we love each other so much is we're both on the same page. The mission statement for Provision Partnership, the ministry I lead, is glorifying God by teaching the church to reach the world. And as James and I both agree, if you're teaching the church properly, the church wants to reach the world. Because teaching the Bible isn't just transferring information to people, it's, it's infusing them with God's truth so that they get excited about it and want to go and share it with others. That's why... I, my simple way of describing how I teach the Bible, I simply want to teach the Bible simply. And my friends say, well, you can't do it any other way. You're not clever enough. That's okay with me. I don't mind being simple if it helps. And so I want to simply teach the Bible simply. And I want to teach Mark because that's where James is going through a series in Mark. And Mark is a book of action. You've heard him say that already. There's words like immediately, right away, the, 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 straight after this, and all the, the, Mark's a short book, and it's a very, very active book. It's full of the parables, what Jesus said, and the miracles, what Jesus did. His walk and his talk, and it moves very, very fast. But what's interesting, when it gets to the incident that we're going to look at this morning, it, it, it takes much, much longer. If, if you like to, you, you know my favorite TV show, right? 24, right? Except the last series. That wasn't too hot. It, it's, it's good, though. It's, it's okay. 24. These events happen in real time. Okay, this is what Mark says. Mark's just given this, like, blow-by-blow blow account. But when he gets to this incident this morning, he gives it an extended treatment. Longer than the other Gospels reporting a similar incident. And so there's a reason for that. So we've got to try and dig into this and find out what it is about this uh, incident that can teach us. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. You ready? Uh, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This, this man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained uh, hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. feet. <clears throat> no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. This is a description um, uh, of what's called the, the, the Gadarene demoniac or the Gerasene demoniac. You'll see it described different ways. The region that they're in, this is a picture right here that I took. I had the privilege of going and working on a fishing boat, a working fishing boat in Galilee a number of years ago, just to gather all the information I could about Jesus and his followers and being a fisher of men. And that's a picture of the Greek Orthodox Church that's situated right next to Capernaum, the ancient town where Jesus uh, taught and lived. In fact, 
Two miles east and west of that church on the shore is where 90% of Jesus' ministry took place. And when Jesus said, we're going to the far side, look into the distance beyond the church and you'll see where the far side is. The far side of the lake was straight across the lake uh, where if any of you have been over there, the little kibbutz and Gev is there right now and then the, the cliffs are behind it leading all the way up to what's called the Decapolis. Decapolis means 10 cities. Give me a word, any word, and I'll give you the Greek, right? You hear that? Right? Deca, ten, Polis city, Decapolis, ten cities. It was a region off into the distance there on the other side of the lake that was Greek and Roman. They worshipped idols. They kept pigs, for goodness sakes. Jews didn't keep pigs. They were unclean. This is probably where the prodigal son went when he went to the far country because it's the only place in the region where there would be pigs. So they worshipped idols, they kept pigs, and they had horrible problems, all kinds of evil spirits, and all kinds of things going on. And this particular day, Jesus says, we're going to the far side of the lake, and uh, he, he meet, when, they, when they arrive there, they meet this demonic man who rushes at them, rushes at them screaming. Listen, this wasn't him, it says he greeted Jesus as he got off the boat. He didn't say, hey Jesus, nice to see you, you know, it wasn't that. This was a rushing lunatic coming, rushing towards Jesus. And it describes him, doesn't give him a name, uh, but he was naked. They tried to clothe him. He tore off his clothes. He was isolated. He lives in the tombs on his own amongst dead people. Again, a thing that was totally unclean to Jewish people. He was dangerous to himself and others. They had chained him up. He'd broken the chains. He would cut himself. He, 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 he would cut himself with stones. He was screaming all the time, night and day. He was in agony. He was in pain. He was bleeding. His ankles and his wrists would be show the marks of the chains where he'd either cut himself with a stones or cut the chains off this man was in pain and this was somebody's brother this was somebody's father possibly this was possibly somebody's cousin somebody's uncle somebody's son can you imagine the hum humiliation and shame if that was someone in your family this was a human being and uh, we're going to learn something incredible. In fact, let's just jump ahead to the end of the passage. Let's find the good news first, and then we'll backtrack. Will we? Mark 5, 15, they saw the man who'd been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. There's a good ending to this story. Okay, verse 20, so the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Last night when I was sending my outline for this. Amy said, what's the title? You didn't give me a title of the message. And so she gave me one, put it in. I said, that's pretty good, the power of Jesus. And then I thought, boy, I'm glad she came up with that because this, the title she might have come up could have been a bit embarrassing. It might have been Mark 5, Madman to Missionary, message by Peter Grant. You might have misunderstood that, you know. Maybe I'm the madman to the missionary, I don't know. But the power of Jesus is a great title because it describes what's going on here. See, th th this is a story of a madman to a missionary. This is a demonic to a disciple. This is a, somebody from the guttermost to the uttermost. This is a, a zero to a hero, a, a, a lunatic to a legend. Uh, th this, is, um, this is an incredible story, and this should bring hope to every single one of us. You, you may not be a zero, but maybe you've come in this morning feeling pretty hopeless and helpless. That's where this guy was. Uh, maybe, maybe you're not a hero, but, but you, you want encouragement to live well for Jesus. Well, there's, there's all of that in here. Let's look at some things that will help us this morning. Here's a couple of suggestions. Number one, choose the power of Jesus over the power of evil. 
That sounds pretty simple at first, but let me unpack it for you. Let's see what's happening in Mark 5, 6 to 13. Uh, When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of Man, the Most High God? Swear to God you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What's your name? My name is Legion, he replied. That's not his given name. That's the name they all gave him because of his demonic affliction. He replied, For we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. And the evil spirits, plural, came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Two mistakes we make when we see passages like this, because we're modern 20th century, 21st century uh, civilized people, we either trivialize or sensationalize stories like this of the demonic. We trivialize it. Some of you are trivializing right now. You're thinking about, what about all that bacon? My goodness, where did all that bacon go? Goodness sakes, 2,000 pigs. You imagine the extra thick slices you could get out of that? You're trivializing it, okay? But we also sensationalize it when we give Satan and demons and evil undue focus when really the focus in this story is on the power of Jesus. That's where the focus is. So here's, a, here's a, a, a suggestion. The visible proof of the invisible truth, number one, Jesus has power over the devil to change lives. Don't ever forget that. Jesus has power over the devil to change lives. See, Satan is a thief who some comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And if you're finding things in your life that are destroyed, things being killed, things being stolen, being taken away from you. It may be there's demonic influence. It may be there's satanic influence. It may be there's evil forces working against you. Now, I don't believe believers can be possessed, but I do believe they can be oppressed. They can be afflicted. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Listen to how Thomas Brooks, the Puritan, said it. Satan promises the best, but pays with the worst. He promises honor, but pays with disgrace. He promises pleasure, pays with pain. He promises profit and pays with loss. He promises life and pays with death. See, Satan will take you further than you ever wanted to go. If you start going down the wrong direction, Satan will take you further than you ever wanted to go. He'll keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay, and it'll cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. That's what Satan does. That's his job. That's his job. You give him an inch, and he'll become your ruler. That's the truth. That's the, that's the nature of evil. But there's a visible proof of an invisible truth here. Some, something that should make you go, hmm. First of all, there's the condition of the man. I mean, th- this man is, is, has all the signs of demonic, demonic possession, hopelessness, helplessness, cutting, self-harm. When the evil spirits are cast out, the man into the bigs, what's the first thing they do? They rush to suicide. They're so troubled by the evil spirits that are within animals that they rush to suicide. The fate of the pigs, that's another visible uh, proof of an invisible truth. Just want to let you know, by the way, this is a statement, a disclaimer. I need to make it for those of you that might be PETA-inspired. Many, many pigs were harmed in the making of this miracle, okay? They were totally, totally destroyed. But it's okay, they were pigs. And Jesus had a point he was trying to teach us. See, the point Jesus was trying to teach... The message says it this way. It was even worse than the, for the pigs than for the man. <laughs> Jesus wants to say, that's the power of evil. But see, the power of Jesus is the focus because first of all, Jesus diagnosed the problem. You and I would have spent all day counseling the man. Jesus says, oh, evil spirit. 
Evil spirits, not just spirits, spirits, legion, many. Watch this. Come out. And he sends them into the pigs. And 2,000 pigs rush headlong down the hillside and into the lake. And all the people watching, we should have said, at one, can you, can you imagine what the sight and sound of 2,000 pigs rushing down the hillside was? The snorting, the stamping, the squealing, the grunting, the rushing, the banging, the tumbling headlong over each other, the splashing as they got in the water, the drowning, the squealing. Can we go on? Do you get it? you get it? And this was because Jesus said a word to the spirits living in one man, come out, go to the pigs, to teach us today that he has not to make us frightened of evil, but to teach us the power over evil that he has. See, there's a, a word that I want to, uh, a phrase I want to suggest to you that should encourage you. Christus Victor. Um, by the way, the, the initials for that are, oh, oh, let, by the way, too, there's a verse, 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Isn't that good news? Jesus came to destroy all that. This is what he started in this passage right here. He, he's destroying the devil's work, and he goes on. In fact, Christus Victor is about his total destruction of the devil's work. If you look at the initials, it's CV. This is Jesus' curriculum vitae, okay? A while back, this was suggested as being an alternative theory of the atonement, those of you that know your theology, an alternative theory of the atonement, meaning it wasn't substitutional, penal substitutionary atonement, which we believe in, which is that Jesus died in our place for our sins, but it was somehow all about Jesus becoming a victor, not about his death. I believe both. I believe he died for our sins so that we could come to know God, but he also arose as a victor and triumphed over the grave and over everything else. Christus Victor. That, that's why it's so important that you understand this. This is just the beginning of Jesus' great work. See, we do you know that there's uh, nine saving acts of Jesus in the New Testament? And uh, four of them you might be familiar with. His uh, sinless birth, his uh, perfect life, his death on the cross, and his resurrection. That's four, okay? But there's five more. Four of them took place 2,000 years ago when he was here on earth. Five more of them are taking place right now as he did what? After he rose from the dead, what did he do? He ascended on high and he sits at the right hand of the Father. Five of the saving acts of Jesus are taking place right now. And let me tell you something. It's not about you. <laughs> okay? You, you might hear me this morning and say, well, he talks, he sounds like he's really got hope. He sounds like he really believes Jesus is the victor. And you may say, this is, but I'm discouraged. I'm struggling with evil in my life. I'm, this isn't, this isn't, this isn't, always, isn't always good news. And I'm, I'm, I'm harassed and helpless and I feel hopeless at times. Can I just tell you something for a second? It's not about you. Can, you just, can, you, can, I, can I talk about Christus Victor for a few minutes and give you some encouragement? Because it's not about you. It's about Jesus. You see, here's the, here's, the, here's the gospel. The life Jesus once lived led to the death he once died. That's 2,000 years ago. He lived a sinless, perfect life in your place. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the dead. That, so the life he once lived led to the life he once gave, his life for yours, led to what? To the life he now lives, which leads to the life he now gives. It's all about him. It's not about you. See, this is the good news of the good news. Jesus, the king, is on the throne in total victory, having destroyed all the works of the evil one. 
So it's not about you. Can you all agree on that? It's not about me. <laughs> it's about Jesus. And the great news about Jesus doing this is that, that, that uh, here's what R.C. Sproul said. Let me just read this to you. Uh, Jesus ascended to an office. He departed from the area, arena of humiliation, suffering. He in one moment leapfrogged from the status of despised Galilean teacher to become the cosmic king of the universe, jumping over the heads of Pilate, Herod, and Caesar Augustus. And it would also teach us in the Bible over the heads of the devils, the demons, and all spiritual forces of evil. He rules and reigns on the throne of the universe in total and absolute victory. Forget yourself for a moment. That's good news, isn't it? That is such good news. Because no matter how I'm doing, struggling down here, at least I know Jesus, my head, my king, my chief, my captain, is now living in total victory. But ah, this is where it starts to affect you. Because you know what Jesus says? I don't want you living down here, struggling on your own. See, some of you might be thinking, when I say choose Jesus, you're thinking, what he's saying is that in a struggle with evil, I've got to make sure that I sincerely, committedly, obediently, humbly, faithfully, consistently choose Jesus over evil every single day. And if I get better and better and better and better, maybe one day I'll be worthy of this. No, 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 no. No. What it says about what Jesus has done for us, he died, he rose, he ascended, and he took us to be seated with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in the victory that he has. That's why Romans 8.37 says we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What can separate us from the love of God? Neither demons, nor hell, nor, and it goes on and on. Let's all these, nothing can separate you from the position Jesus has given you. This is your condition. Struggling, more aware of evil, aware of its pull on your life, discouraged, sometimes led into being harassed and helpless and hopeless. But the minute you get your eyes off yourself and say, but I'm in Jesus, I'm in Christ, I'm one of his. He's living in total victory. He's made me more than a conqueror in him. So I get my eyes off my condition, I put it onto my position in Christ. I get my eyes off my activity. What does I need to do next to get away? What do I need to do? There's nothing you can do. Nothing. It's already been done for you. This is your activity. Here's your identity. You're a dearly beloved daughter of God. You see, but Peter, I act like a demonic sometimes. You should see the way I treat my kids. Okay, okay, I hear you. <laughs> okay. Hey, we're fallen sinful human beings, but he still chose you. And he chose you to put you in him so you could be more than a conqueror. How? Because of who you are? No, no, because of who he is. Christ is victor. Christ is victor. Christ the king. Christ the victor destroys the work of the evil one. You know the biggest work of the evil one in your life? Maybe not demonic possession, but demonic affliction where he says, you're useless, you're hopeless, you'll never be the Christian you're supposed to be. And every time I hear that voice, because I hear it too, I look at Christ the victor, Christ the king, and say, oh, I'm so glad you're living in victory. I'm so glad I'm seated there with you. See, that's, that's the hope that comes through Christ. Cal, Cal, John Calvin said this, uh, so we're living in a difficult world, we're living in a, a, a tough world, we're full of miseries, but what of it? Jesus Christ holds Satan in check, for he is king of heaven and earth. What of it? Christ rules above, having entire control of the battle. 
We struggle, but what of it? The Son of God is my head. He's my example. He's the one I look to. See, this is faith looking to Jesus and becoming more than a conqueror, not through your works, but through his. He's destroyed the works of the evil one. Listen, there's more. You need to not just choose Jesus over evil. You need to choose people over pigs. We're getting practical now, right? You need to choose people over pigs. You may say, Peter, I, I hear that stuff about demonic and all the rest, demons and evil spirits, and I, you know, I can't fully relate to that. Well, I guarantee you're going to relate to this. Let's read it together. Let's read what happened. Matthew, Mark uh, 5, 14 to 17, those tending the pigs. Okay, there's a number of different groups here, so hang with me. I'll try and describe them. Those tending the pigs, that's the big herders, ran off and reported it to the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what happened. So all the people in the town and countryside, the Decapolis, the region of the ten cities, Gadara, Garassa, the two towns, they all came running. The people from the towns came to see what happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And here's the strangest part of the whole passage. And they were afraid. Really? You weren't afraid when you're hearing him screaming at night from the tombs? But you're afraid because he's sitting dressed in his right mind. Okay. Those who had been seen it, that's the witnesses who'd seen what happened to the pigs. Those who had seen it told the people who'd come from the towns and cities what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Oh, my goodness me. There's something seriously wrong with this. You see, what should have happened is when they arrived at the scene and saw the demonic sitting sane, dressed. By the way, who dressed them? I, I don't know. Uh, you know, maybe one of the disciples. Disciples are still doing it all over the world. Put proper clothes on them. And here he is sitting dressed, sane in his right mind. What they should have done, they looked at the man, they should have looked. The pigs were probably still thrashing around. I don't know how long it takes for pigs to drown, but I guess some of them were still drowning. They should have looked down and seen the mess and seen the pigs. Looked at the man, looked at the pigs, looked at the man, listened to the story and gone, my goodness me, what power someone's got around you. Who did this? They said, Jesus, Jesus, oh, tell us how you, wouldn't you think that their response would be, isn't it great news, the, demo, the crazy guy's been healed? But not them. Why? Because they valued pigs over people. Uh, see, they were, they, were, they were worried about their business. The pig herders were worried about their jobs. The pig owners were worried about their business. And the whole region was worried about their economic climate. You say, ah, but that's back then, right? No, that's now. I know people that value pigs over people. I know, I know, I know some people that value jobs over people or homes over people or, or cabins in the, in the hills over people or careers over people. See, that, this is, here's the, look, the visible proof of the invisible truth number two is this. Jesus has power over the world to change lives. Because the world and the flesh and the devil are the three things that come against us. We've seen that Jesus has power over the devil to change lives, so he's got power over the devil. But the second thing that will come against you, if Satan can't get you distracted by direct assault, he'll get you distracted by the people around you who'll pull you in the direction of the world's values. To value their own things, to value pigs over people. Oh, yeah, you can still go to church as long as he's got your values in the wrong place. Uh, you, you, I mean, you, you can look good. You don't look like a demonic. 
least most of you don't. Maybe there's one or two, I'm not so sure about that, but most of you don't, okay? It don't look like a demonic. But you can be living the same way, effectively saying, hey, hey, Jesus, no, thanks, but no thanks, okay? You, you can be a Starbucks sipping, Lexus driving, Gucci wearing, CrossFit training. Am I messing with you now? Am I meddling yet? Gated community living, six-figure earning. You can be a six, bulldog supporting. <laughs> can I go on? Okay, you can look great from the outside. You can have it all together. And you can be valuing people over, pigs over people. Things that don't matter at the end of the day. Things that amount to nothing. And see what Jesus, the, the good news is, Jesus has overcome the world's values. 1 John 5, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. 1 John 4, 4, but the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I mean, I've seen visible, I've seen this up close and personal. I remember one time I pastored in Buckhead for a number of years, and we had a young lady who came to Christ, and she had got way off the right track. She was a professional young woman, but she had got into drugs and alcohol and ended up living on the street. Just a, um, a complete mess. And she came to put her faith in Christ, and we saw a visible change, a visceral, visible change in her countenance, her appearance. She got back into a career. Everything changed. And she told me, Peter, uh, my, my parents don't go to church, but they're coming next week. They said they want to come next week. I said, that's fantastic. Make sure you come up and introduce them to me. So I preach the message Sunday morning. I go out into the lobby. I see this young woman coming towards me. She's got an older couple behind her. I think, this is her parents. This is fantastic. So as they come towards me, I put out my hand to warmly greet them and shake their hand, welcome them. And I say, isn't it great what's happened, the changes in your daughter's life these last year, this last year or so? And they look at me with a scowl on their face and they say, absolutely not. We don't know what she's doing in a place like this, but this is not the way we raised her. I'm going, are you kidding me? She's been delivered from drugs, alcohol, homelessness. She looks different. She looks better. And all you can say is, this is not the kind of place we raised her to go to. I say, really? Wow. That's the world's values. It's almost like they'd rather have their daughter the way she was as long as she wasn't meddling with Jesus. And some of you know, I, I come from a family that was like that. And see, that's the world system, the world's values, but Jesus has overcome the world. Here's what, here's what we say. See, when we value pigs over people, we tell Jesus to leave. See, the demonic ran to the boat screaming at Jesus to get away. We won't do it like that because we're civilized. Eh? We just ask them. We just turn our back on them. We just get busy with other things. We value, we value careers and homes and all kinds of things over people. This is, you know, as I was reading this, the verse that jumped out at me was Mark 5, 17. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. If I'm reading this rightly, based on what they had just seen, you know what that verse should read? Here's how it should. If you'd seen a man that was afflicted as this man was, 
delivered from all that affliction, pain, shame, humiliation, despair, self-harm, self-cutting, self-abuse. If you'd seen someone delivered from that, you know what that verse should read? Then the people began to plead with Jesus to save the region. Oh, Jesus, could you do what you did for my uncle? Could you do what you did for my friend? Can you do what you did for my neighbor? Can you Look, I want to bring someone to you, Jesus, because there's someone I know that's as much in need of help as that demonic. You see, if you're a follower of Christ and he's done something for you and he saved you not only from the devil, destroyed the works of the devil in your life, he's given you this seat in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. He's also delivered you from the world so you don't think, you know it's wrong to value pigs over people, okay? Here's what you should be doing. You should be pleading with Jesus to save this region. You, you, you should actually, that's, that's why that big number's back there, right, James? 260,000 people who live within 20 minutes of here. That's why they have a Thursday night prayer meeting here. So what? So we, the people at Cross Point City Church, who know what Jesus has done for us, plead with him to save our region. We say, Jesus, what you've done in my life is so fantastic. Would you do it amongst my friends, my neighbors, my colleagues, my family? You know, this this Thursday night prayer thing, it's not just something James stuck in the schedule because he had a free night, okay? He's a busy man. You're busy men and women. Why is it in the schedule? Because it's a chance for Cross Point City Church to tell Jesus they need him. You know, if I go to Africa and India, which I do a lot, I see demonic possession and powerful displays of evil forces. When I go to Europe, I don't see that. But you know what I do see in Europe, which is so sad? a whole post-Christian culture that's turned its back on Jesus and said, Jesus, we don't need you. And they're in worse shape than the people in Africa and India because of it. We're 20 to 30 years away from that. Post-Christian culture. James and I were in Scotland in January. Young woman serving us at McDonald's said to him, what are you doing here? He told her, and she said, that's, that's funny. I don't know a single person that goes to church. That's sad. That's because a whole generation of people in Europe said, hey, Jesus, <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. All this demon stuff, you know, all that, you know, all that power, evil, Satan, good, salvation, no thanks. If you really believe the truth about Jesus, you'll be at Thursday night. Okay? Here's, here's why, here's why uh, these parables and miracles are so important. Jesus has not stopped doing things like this. When he goes back to heaven, he doesn't go back to a lesser ministry. He goes back to a greater ministry. He's not less available. He's more available. The reason we're told about this demonic is that some of us here this morning can just cry out, Jesus, I need you. And he'll hear us because he goes where he's invited. And so here's, here's what I want to close with. Uh, we need to choose to go where we're sent, not stay where we're satisfied. That's the third thing. Mark 5, 18 to 20, Jesus was getting into the boat. The man had been demon-possessed, begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Here's visible proof of invisible truth number three. Jesus has power over the flesh to change lives. You see, there's the world, the flesh, and the devil. Devil comes directly at you. The world seeks to influence you through the people around you. The flesh seeks to influence you through what's within you. 
driving towards comfort and convenience over doing what Jesus asked you to do. This man wants to go with Jesus back to the safe side of the lake, back to Capernaum where all the Christians are. And Jesus says, no, 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 I want you to stay right here. I want you to go back to your own family, your own home, and I want you to tell them the great things I've done for you. Because the flesh wants to go. I love what Rick Warren said. He said he hasn't known very many demon-possessed churches, but he's known a few deacon-possessed churches. I love that. Because the flesh works against the mission of Jesus. The flesh says, I want to be comfortable. I want to be safe. That's why, that's why the heroes in my life are people like my own daughter, Fiona. I think she might be here this morning. Uh, because a couple of years ago, she came to us and said, Mom, Dad, I believe God's asking me to move and live and serve in two of the most violent neighborhoods in Chicago amongst inner city, underprivileged kids. And so we said, well, if that's God's will, we're all for it. Why? Because we believe that the safest place in the world is the center of the will of God. The safest place in the world is the center of the will of God. That's why Joel and Amanda Griffin, who are moving to Africa, are my heroes. I was at a prayer retreat with them a few weeks ago. They were sharing. I said, Joel and Amanda, I am so privileged to be sitting here listening to your story. Because you're folks who are visible demonstrations of the power of Jesus over the flesh. You're not living in comfort. You're heading into Africa, giving up your comforts. Because you believe that Jesus is sending you. You're going where you're sent, not staying where you're satisfied. Uh, Here, here's the conclusion of the whole thing. What was it that, how did the disciples describe this work of Jesus on our behalf? Ongoing, real time. These events are happening in real time. Madman to, how does, how does God take someone from such despair to such purpose? Well, they started using a phrase to describe the work of Jesus, not just the work in the past, but the ongoing work in heaven on our behalf and the work present time, real time that he did through his followers. They, 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 oh, yeah, they talked about the cross, but not a lot as much as what I'm going to describe. They talked about the resurrection, but not as much as this phrase I'm going to tell you. They talked about the name of the Lord. That's the, that's the phrase they used over and over and over throughout the New Testament. They said, there's power in the name of the Lord. They said there's healing in the name of the Lord. There's salvation in the name of the Lord. Every time they wanted to describe all the work of Jesus, the person of Jesus in heaven, what he could do from heaven in addition to what they'd seen him do on earth, what he could do with a word when someone cried out to him, they would say, the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord. The name of the Lord. That's why one of my favorite songs is the one we're going to close with in worship. What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a powerful name it is. Nothing can stand against. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. So I want to invite you for just a moment to just bow your heads, if you will, with me. Just stay standing. And I'm going to invite our prayer team to come and get in their places as well. Look, maybe you're that person who walked in today feeling very hopeless feeling very broken, wondering if anything or anyone could ever change your life. And today you've heard about this God, this God who loved you so much that he wrapped himself in flesh and came here to destroy the works of the devil. And maybe today you need the freedom that he offers. You need to be released from the chains of bondage. You need new life. You need hope for eternity. 
Listen, if you need what only Jesus can do for you, why don't you just cry out to him right now and tell him, just say, Jesus, I need you to deliver me. I need you to save me. Jesus, I believe in your death on the cross for my sins. I believe you did that so that I could be loved and accepted by you. But Jesus, I also believe that you rose from the dead and ascended to heaven so that you could change my life forever. And so Jesus, right now, would you take hold of me? Would you free me from the things I need to be freed from? Would you change my life and give me hope both now and in eternity? Jesus, I say yes to a relationship with you. Here's what I want to ask you to do with heads still bowed and eyes still closed. We're not going to raise hands today. I'm just going to ask you to take a simple step of faith before you leave. If you just prayed that with me or something like it, before you walk out of this room, I want to challenge you and strongly encourage you to come and to tell one of our prayer team members or, or tell Peter, he's going to stand here as we're leaving, tell one of them what God's done in your life today. All you need to say is this. Just tell them, I said yes to Jesus. I said yes to Jesus. And we want to celebrate the decision you made and also put some resources in your hands to get you started in your new relationship with him. So please don't leave without letting someone know that you did that. God, I just thank you for the work you've done in this place today. I thank you for your word and for how it encourages us, how it changes us, how it gives us hope for tomorrow. God, we love you and we're so grateful your love for us displayed in Jesus. God, we pray all this in his name. Amen.